Well, hey, everybody. What a beautiful, beautiful thing it is to come together and to sing and to pray. I mean, all morning long, it just feels just a sense of God's presence here today. We love that you're here. I see lots of uh, familiar faces and then a few new ones as well. And so we're grateful for everyone that's here. We're in week four of a sermon series we've entitled Things That Stick. And this is a message series all about disciple making. In just a few minutes, we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you have a Bible with you, if you want to go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy, you may need the table of contents for that one. No shame in that. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to jump in in just a few moments. Today, my message to you is called Parenting in the Ways of Jesus. And there's a tendency right there to tune out because you think, I'm not a parent. But the reality is I think there's something here for everyone today, whether you're a child, a student, parent, grandparent, a disciple maker in the way that we've talked about being spiritual parents. And so I want you to lean in and listen to what God has to say for this today. So last month, December, Elon Musk, who I'm sure you know is the founder of SpaceX and Tesla, a number of other companies, he, he was in Italy. And they're asking him his opinion on several things. When you make a gazillion dollars, they, people like to know what you think about things. So he's giving comments and he makes this interesting observation about Italy and most of the developing world, or the developed world, I should say. He says this, he says, I think it's important to have children and to create the new generation. As simple as it sounds, if people do not have children, there is no new generation. Elon Musk is, is touching on something here that I think rubs our culture and goes against our culture. So let's be honest, in our culture today, there's a lot talked about with things like self-expression, personal fulfillment, finding happiness. And just to be blunt with you, kids get in the way of all of that. Can I get an amen? Kids get in the way of all of that. In fact, last week I was at a meeting and it was for pastors and the guy that was facilitating the meeting wanted us to go around, you know, tell us your name, where you're from, tell us a hobby and some other things. And this was a repeated refrain, their name, where they were. And this is what I used to do as a hobby. And then I had kids. That was the general theme that went around the room. And, and it's tough. I think Elon Musk is touching, though, on something that is a massive worldwide issue that very few are talking about, and that is the declining birth rates of so much of the world, particularly the West. There are a number of countries in Europe, including America, here in North America, where the birth rate is declining. Apparently, it takes... 2.1 children per household for a population to stay the same. Now, how you have the 0.1, I have no idea. But apparently, 2.1 children is what it takes to maintain a population. In America, it's 1.6. There are other countries where it's more extreme. Like, for instance, someone told me the stat today. In 2010 in Japan, which has one of the most precipitous falling birth rates, in Japan in 2010 there will be more adult diapers sold than children's diapers. 
And that's happening all over the world. Because children get in the way of our otherwise happy life. Now, the Bible has something very different to say about kids. We learn that all of us are made in the image of God. All life is worthy to be protected and valued. And that children are a blessing from the Lord. Today, when we talk about parenting, let's admit that, that this is a complex issue. Parenting's difficult. Like, for instance, uh, just using my age, so middle age, solidly middle age, right? 45, right? So I remember distinctly when I got a computer. So I, I was not born into a digital age. I'm a digital immigrant. I, I was not born into that. Some of you, looking over here at students, kids around the room, you, you are digital natives. You have never known a second of your life where the internet was not always available to you at all times. And that brings with it challenges. Certainly you think about some of the content, but not, it's not just the content. It's just it's what shaping your life around a screen does to you in ways that I think we unknowingly recognize. It's complex. On the top of that, you have a number of seismic cultural shifts that are happening. You know these things. There's fatherlessness, abandonment, divorce, device addiction, neglect, the opioid crisis, financial crises. All, all these things make parenting really tough. And then on top of that, if you're a parent, there's this gnawing sense of failure that you tend to walk around with. I'm sitting here talking about parenting today and am somewhat reluctant to do so because I think about all the failures in my own life trying to be a parent. I will promise you one thing. It is a whole lot easier to teach about parenting than to, actual, than to be an actual parent. Did you know that? It is really difficult. In fact, I, mean, I think I got all three kids in the room, my kids. I'm avoiding eye contact the entire time this morning with all three of them. Because <laughs> the whole time it's like, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, I remember what you did last Wednesday, Dad. Mm-hmm, okay. And, and parents feel this sense of shame that we're not perfect, that we're not living up to even our own ideals. And yet, parenting is an incredible privilege and honor. Now, there's no magic solutions to parenting. I, I know parents in this church, godly parents, great people, not perfect people, but great people who love Jesus, who pray for their kids, who did the church thing, Bible thing, I mean, all that stuff. And their kids still walked away from the Lord. So there's no, there's no magic pill here or solution, yet we, all called, we are called to parent in the ways of Jesus. And that's my hope today. Let's have a conversation about parenting. If you're a parent with kids, particularly under your roof, you're gonna have some readily applicable things to say, okay, I need to think about how to put that in practice. If you're a grandparent, you might be a little more creative. Disciple maker might be more creative. If you're a kid or student here, there's something for you too. I I'm gonna give you some things to hold your parents to when it comes to how God is challenging them to be a disciple maker. Now, you heard the definition today, but throughout the series, we've given you a definition of a disciple. And our definition is this. A disciple is one who has found Jesus, is following the ways of Jesus, and is leading others to do the same. And some of you might hear this throughout the series and go, 
I need to do that. You're right, Clay. I need to, I need to disciple people. I need to disciple my kids. They've never had that before. My kids have never been to, I, I would love to disciple my, I, we've never done that before. And with all due respect, I would push back a little and say, let me tell you something. Your, your kids are already being discipled. Did you know that? So, so I want you to think about what the question is and what the question isn't. The question isn't, is my child being discipled? The question is, who or what is discipling my child? And to what are they being discipled? Because right now, your, your kids are being discipled. They're being discipled by their friends, by their phones, by movies, by songs, by their family of origin, by their personality, by experiences, by a whole host of things. So, so your, your kids are already being discipled. The question is who or what is discipling them and to what are they being discipled? So to get after this today, I want to look at an Old Testament passage found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a wonderfully instructive passage. And before we stand and read it, let me give you just briefly the context. This is Moses speaking to the people of Israel before his death and before they are then going to go into the promised land. And he's reminding them about their role as families, about their role as the people of God. And he's just been talking about all these commands. In fact, in Deuteronomy 5, we have a repeat of the Ten Commandments. And so what do we do with these things? And Deuteronomy 6 tells us. So if you have it, would you stand? I want us to read verses 4 through 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is what Moses said to Israel, and by extension, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, the church, today. Verse 4. Hear, Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall repeat them diligently to your sons and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You shall also tie them as a sign to your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall also write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Father, as we look at this very old passage filled with wisdom I pray, God, you'd speak to us once again today. God, I don't know where everyone is in this room. I don't know where they are with you. I don't know if they're a parent, a grandparent, a student. I don't know all that, God, but you do. And I pray that your spirit would speak to us and lead us, challenge us, Father, and help us to live on mission for you. And we'll pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this has always been a huge passage in the history of Israel. Some people, not some people, most people, summarize this passage as the Shema. And Shema is the word for hear. You heard in verse 4, hear, O Israel. That, that word means to pay attention to. It can also mean to obey. Shema, hear, O Israel. And, and the Jewish people would say this prayer often daily. This prayer was used... In the high holy days, Yom Kippur, 
Hear, O God, the Lord our God is one. Now this passage was not only important for those in the Old Covenant, but in the time of Jesus, they're wrestling through this as well. In fact, some tried to trip up Jesus with this. You remember when they came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what's the greatest command? Now they weren't asking that because they want to know his answer. They're trying to trip him up because they thought, here's how we can get him. Because we know that the Bible says, love the Lord your God and to keep his commandments. And one of his commandments is the Sabbath. So let's just say that an older couple was going down the road in a, in a wagon or something and fell over into a ditch and they couldn't get out and it was on a Saturday, a Sabbath. What should you do? Because you got to keep the Sabbath, but you got people who need help. And Jesus told them. Uh, the greatest command, which by the way says that he's been thinking about this. The greatest command is to love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength, quoting Deuteronomy. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. At, at the core of this passage is this idea that unlike the Roman pantheon of gods or the Greek array of gods, that there is one God, Yahweh. He is the true God. And this one God has made himself known through his word, and he wants his word to be on your heart. It's a way of saying God wants to be about in everything in your life. And for you to be all about God in your life. But as we talk about parenting today, we want to apply this in a certain way. And so I thought about two big points from this passage about applying the Shema. And the first is this, which is hugely important in this passage. It's this. Number one, the home is the starting point for ministry. Did you know that? The home is the starting point for ministry. Notice in verse 7, it says, well, back up to verse 6. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. And then notice verse 7. And you shall repeat them diligently to your sons. Now, don't get stuck on the whole gender thing there because this equally applies to daughters as well. But he's saying that parents, when you learn the things of God, the expectation is that then you are passing those things on to your children. The home is the starting point of ministry. The starting point of ministry is not the church. It's not your life group. It's not kids' ministry. It's not your school. It's not anywhere else. The starting place for ministry is your home, which means parents have to take seriously this command that when they learn the ways of God, they are to pass those things on to their sons and their daughters. Now, that is extremely challenging for everybody, but even more so for some of you. I, I know many wonderful, godly people who are single parents, even in this room right now, shouldering this burden by yourself, incredibly difficult. I know some of you in this room where you are a follower of Jesus, but your spouse is not. And that brings with it a whole host of challenges. Not unprecedented, if you remember Timothy in the Bible, his mother was a believer, his father was most likely not a believer, so certainly not unprecedented, but it makes it challenging. But the home is to be the starting place of the ministry. It's so easy in ministry to, to go other places and somehow forget the very first place, which is their home. It's, it's like, I call it the rainbird principle. You know, like a rainbird sprinkler system where the head comes up out of the ground and it sprinkles water and everything out here is really green, but all the stuff right around the head of the sprinkler is brown. That's what it can be like at times. We give all this energy and effort to all these other places out here and the places right next to us aren't receiving the benefit 
of what we have to give. The home is a starting place for ministry. And the practical nature of this passage gets to the second point as we apply it. And that is to say, number two, that there are strategic times to invest in your kids. Now, I give you, if you want to write down in your notes here today, I give you some practical, you know, maybe updates, if you will, of this. But notice in verse 7, it says, You shall repeat them diligently to your sons and speak of them four times here. What's it say? Uh, When you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Now, immediately you see we got to update a few things. Because I don't know about you, but the whole walk down the road part. Like, when was the last time you walked down the road to get water at the well with your kid? Anybody here? Not, not a lot of wells in East Cobb. Can I just, you know, be honest about that? So, so we're updating to say, what's this look like in the year 2024? I think these are four appropriate ways to think about this. Strategic times to invest in your kids, whether they are four years old, 14, 24. How do you invest in them? Number one, in the morning. Maybe that's a thought for the day, a text, a word of encouragement, a verse, a short prayer. I tell my girls all the time, they probably roll their eyes now, when they're getting on the bus or going to school, I almost always say, be a leader. Be a leader for Jesus. It might sound cheesy, I'm just trying to instill that in their life. Hey, no matter where you are, be a leader for Jesus. In the car, that drive time is so important. And let's... Let's just admit it's easy when you're in the car to see that as kind of time for you to do your thing or maybe you're on work calls or, you know, whatever it is you're trying to do and, you're, and your kid's there doing their thing on their phone, whatever. Try to capture those drive times, conversations that can happen in the car. At the table, the importance of just sharing meals together, and this is so hard to do, is it not? We, we, we sit down most weeks and look at our week, Tarek and I do, like so tonight, probably Sunday night, we'll... Take a few minutes and just look at the calendar for the week, kind of plan on the week. And for us, based on the stage of life where our kids are, that means that we're like Uber drivers for our kids most of the week. So we're trying to figure all that out. I think two weeks ago we looked, we had, I think, 17 practices or games in one week, right? And that's normal. That's normal. But we're also saying, how can we capture dinner time together? Maybe it's two times a week, three maybe at the most. But are we having that time where we're coming together, putting the phones away, and we're just spending time together as a family? Finally, before bed. If your kid's really little, this might just be that short Bible story or prayer before bed. If your kids are older, particularly teenagers, they tend to open up more at night. So just taking advantage of that time to hear their hearts. Strategic times to invest in your kids. This is what God is calling us to do. And this is a principle for God's people, that we're passing on the things of God to the next generation. Psalm 78, 4 says this. But we will tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his power and his wondrous works that he has done. I love that our church is multi-generational. I love that our church is not just a collection of 20-year-olds or 80-year-olds or any particular. I love that that we're growing in that area. I love we're growing to be a more multi-ethnic church. I love love that. But as, as every generation should be honored, and I'm so honored to stand on the shoulders of those who have come before me, as are you, I, I will say this. Based on this passage and what we see in all the scriptures, we have to have a bias towards the next generation. 
On top of that, you look at the cultural challenges, what it's like to be a student in 2024, to be a child in 2024. The massive way in which you have to swim upstream to be a follower of Jesus means that as a church, we have to put the best of our time, money, effort, and energy into the next generation. As a pastor, I'm constantly thinking, not just what do we need in 2024, I'm thinking what decisions do we have to make today as a church to impact 2044? 20 years from now. As a parent, you need to think not just about the tyranny, the urgent of what's coming up today or this week, but what decisions are we making as a family right now that will impact my kids 20 years from now? That long-term vision. And some of you, because you're a first-generation disciple of Jesus, you are literally resetting, resetting generational curses and bringing about generational blessings because of the actions you're taking in the life of your family right now. So we have to invest in those that are coming after us. Now, let me give you a big principle that you need to be reminded of, and I do too. Because it's easy to hear all this stuff about parenting, and you're filled with shame and condemnation, and, and all the things you don't do well, and you think, well, I've, I've, I'm a huge failure. I didn't do any of this kind of stuff. Let me, let me just ease that a little bit and tell you this. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be intentional. You don't have to be perfect as a parent. And by the way, you're not perfect as a parent, all right? You're not perfect. Students, would you agree with that? Your parents are not perfect. Can I get an amen over here from the student section? Amen. Look at that. Revival just happened over here in the student section. And guess what? Y'all ain't perfect either, all right? Some of y'all are kind of jacked up. Anyway, so... Y'all make this hard, all right? You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be intentional. So, so let's shift from this general understanding of pouring into the next generation to the, to the ways of Jesus. After all, in our definition of the disciple, we talk about not just having found Christ, finding Jesus, but following the ways of Jesus. Have you ever asked, why, why do we use that phrase, the ways of Jesus? Well, partly because it's biblical, which, by the way, is always a good reason to do it. But if you look at the book of Acts, so many times the collection of, of followers of Jesus, they're simply called the way. I love that. The way. I mean, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so his followers are simply the way. And, and when Jesus says in the Great Commission, I want you to teach them to observe everything I have commanded you, it means that there are apparently ways of living our life that are impossible to live without Jesus' help. So we, we want to think about the ways of Jesus. And one thing that we have tried to guard against in this whole series is that you don't come away thinking discipleship and disciple-making is just filling your life with a list of boxes to check, things to do. Are there such things as holy habits? Yes. But we're fearful that you hear disciple-making is just some kind of checklist. Of, you know, I did this, I did this, I did this. A good, a good picture, I think, is a tree trunk. Think, think about a tree. If you, if you cut a tree, uh, it would look, you know, something like this. You can see a picture over here. And, and those rings represent growth. Those rings represent growth over time. 
And that's the picture of a disciple. It's not just linear, like you did this, then you did this, then you did this, then, okay, I got them all done. No, no, it's, it's that you're growing, you're expanding, you're deepening your knowledge in the ways of Jesus and following his ways. So what we want to do is talk about what, what are these ways of Jesus that I think apply in almost every situation when it comes to trying to live on mission in the places you work, live, learn, and play. But I'm going to ask a particular question for parenting so you can think about how do I apply the ways of Jesus in the life of my child, regardless of their age. So five ways of Jesus. Let's go through these together. And I'm going to ask you a question for each one. So the first one is worship. By worship, I mean engaging in personal and corporate worship and growing in spiritual disciplines. So we tend to think worship is only this gathering. And yes, this gathering is an act of worship. Where we come together, usually on Sundays, we pray together, we sing together, we hear the word together. That is, that is worship. But worship is so much bigger than just coming together for an hour or so a week. It is a lifestyle of response to what God has done in your life through his grace. Through the gospel, God has done everything in Christ to save us. And he came in his incarnation to take the form of a human and to teach the ways of God. But ultimately, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that we could be forgiven, reconciled to God, redeemed to God. And then Jesus, of course, died, was buried, but three days later rose again. And now he gives his Holy Spirit. And that spirit, when you repent of your sin and you trust Jesus for salvation, that Holy Spirit begins to change you and your wants and your desires and your affections and the things that matter to you and your priorities. And you're a new person. The Bible, in fact, says you are born again. This is what a life of worship looks like. Loving the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind. God's the best thing that's ever happened to you. In fact, in just a few minutes, we're going to baptize two or three folks. What an expression of worship. But worship isn't just getting together and singing songs. In fact, Romans 1 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, let me ask you a question as a parent particularly when it comes to worship. What does my child see me most passionate about? I, I was talking to Barrett Johnson, who uh, is a member here, used to be on staff here, has a lot of great resources on parenting. He's got a great book coming out in the fall about disciple-making and parenting. And he talked about this exercise that he would do where he would go to like a student group and we give him a three-by-five card and a pen. And he say, all right, I want you to think about your mom or dad. I'm looking over here because, you know, lots of students over here. I want you to think about your mom or dad, and I want you to write, write one word answer. What is your dad most passionate about? I wonder what they would say about you. Would they write sports, politics, your job, money? What, what is your child witnessing you be most passionate about in your life? I don't think there's anything wrong with pursuing some of those things, but man, I, I would love, I don't know if my kids would actually answer like this, but I would love to say, them to say, I think my dad is most passionate about Jesus. Wouldn't you love for your kids to say that? And I think that comes from as a parent being intentional about helping them to truly worship. So 
there's some practical things. I think church plays a huge role in that, coming to worship regularly. And that's so hard today, just the tension of sports and other commitments that just kind of pull us out of the fellowship, but just making that as a commitment, praying together as a family, reading the word together. When's the last time your kids even saw you reading a Bible? Um, just all those things. And let me tell you something about parents. Your kids will learn the greatest lessons from you when things are hard. Wouldn't it be great if they learned when things are easy? The reality is the greatest lesson your kids will learn from you is not when life is awesome, but when it's hard. When, the, when that medical thing happened that you weren't expecting, how'd you handle that? Your kids are watching. When the president you voted for didn't win, how'd you handle that? Your kids are watching. All these situations that you considered hard, difficult, that, that's when your kids are paying attention. And it ultimately comes down to worship. Am I loving the Lord with my heart, my soul, and my strength? Number two, community. Participating in a place of belonging filled with nurturing and encouragement. That's what we long the church to be, a place of belonging place of community. The, the church is never meant to be just an event you come to. If that's all church is, like I come to this building once a week, they sing some songs, some guy talks, you know, and then I, then I go out and that, that, if that's all church is, you have missed the complete point of church. Church is not an event you come to, it's a family to which you belong. Hebrews 10 says it like this, Let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This verse was quoted so many times in COVID by me and other pastors because the attendance dropped off and people are at home and it's pretty comfortable to watch church on home before long. You're not going to church anywhere and all these rhythms and habits, get, you know, all that stuff happens. And we're saying, you got to meet together, got to meet together. Gotta, you know, Bible says, Hebrews 10, got to meet together. But you know, the point is not merely meeting together. The point is to encourage one another. Let's encourage one another, which means that we are meant to be a family, a family. Now, we're not a perfect family. This church has got some crazy uncles in this church. I'm going to tell you that right now. But we're a family, a community. Now, as a parent, let me ask you a question. I'm going to give you some research for this. This is an important question. Does my child have a team of five adults? You might go, what are you talking about? Well, there's research that says kids whose faith remains sticky. There's a whole thing called sticky faith. Kids reach all this stuff. They said... Most kids who stick with their faith can point to five adults outside of their parents that they can rely on for advice, wisdom, counsel, help. One of the great things you could do for your child is by the time they graduate high school, make it a goal that you're going to surround them with five adults who aren't you in the body of Christ who can help them follow Jesus. All right, number three. Are you all okay, by the way? I know this is hard. If you're not, too bad. I'm still talking. All right, number three, service. Service. Mobilizing one's gifts and talents and participating in the ministry of the church. We discount this a lot of times, especially for little kids. But if your child is a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, it means that he or she has the Holy Spirit living inside of them, which also means that they are gifted 
with a gift from the Holy Spirit to serve the body. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works in all things and all persons, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Your child has a spiritual gift, so here's the parenting question. How am I encouraging my child to use their spiritual gifts for the church? How, how am I encouraging that? Do you even think about that? Did you know your child has a gift? And what are you doing to pull that out? I've, I remember my dad said something to me in high school. This is long before I had any desire to be a pastor. I mean, not, just, I just remember him saying to me, Clay, I think God has got great things in store for your life. Something simple, but just pulling out of me a vision bigger than what I could ask or see. And that's the privilege we get to do with our kids. One thing I love about our student ministry and our kids' ministry, that more and more we are encouraging and developing tracks for leadership in our student and kids' ministry. To say, hey, adults play a role, but students, this is your ministry. So lead it. Kids, this is your ministry. Lead it. Take ownership. You're gifted. Do what you can do by the power of the Holy Spirit to serve the body of Christ. All right, number four, generosity. Giving above and beyond to advance God's kingdom. We have a generosity moment in all of our services. We talk about giving, generosity. And yes, it's about money, but it's about much more than just money. It's about your heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a, what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. Cheerful. Yeah, which means that you are, it's, it's a joyful thing to give. That doesn't mean it's always easy. But, but it's, it's joy-inducing to live with loose hands. And that is so not natural, is it? I remember a few years ago, Miller... Our youngest child, uh, she was at an ice cream place, and uh, we bought her a, a milkshake. Um, it's actually her grandfather bought her a milkshake. It's one of those places where the milkshakes are like $9. You know what I'm talking about? Like nice, all right? It's like up, upscale milkshakes. It's chocolate. She took one sip, walked over the trash can, threw it away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You ungrateful. How could you not appreciate? You know why she didn't appreciate it? Well, number one, she likes vanilla. But secondly, you know why? Because she's selfish. And we're all selfish, aren't we? I mean, if we don't get what we like, we just complain. Throw it away. We don't want it. Well, that's what four-year-olds do by nature. Some of us are still struggling with that. God wants us to live with loose hands with our stuff. So here's a question. How am I modeling generosity with my home, my wallet, in my calendar. As a parent, how, how am I showing my child what it looks like to give, to care for the poor, to minister to the vulnerable, to, to have a generous spirit and be cheerful about giving and to teach them the joy of giving, of our money, yes, but of our time and our talents. Uh, Logan Grantham, our student pastor, and our um, Continuing the conversation thing on YouTube that I think that gets launched, I mean, released today. 
I thought he made this great little statement. He said, of all the lessons his dad taught him, one of, the, one of the greatest things his dad ever did, he woke him up one early morning, you know, at oh dark 30, and they went to a hospital and visited somebody. And of all the things that he remembers, he remembers how powerful that was to watch his dad minister to someone else in the name of Jesus and include his son in that. That is as much about generosity as anything else. All right, number five. Number five, last one. Multiplication. Intentionally multiplying our gospel influence to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. That, that's what we long to see here at Johnson Ferry. More and more people are not just disciples of Jesus, but they are disciple-making disciples of Jesus, leading others to do the same. And, and that is true and commanded to every generation of believers, whether you're a little one or a big one. Paul said this in Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything. Parents, can I get an amen to that one? All right, this is your turn. Amen, parents, right? Children, obey your parents in everything, right? Why? Because it pleases the Lord. Now, the reason I bring that up is not because the obvious imperative there is that you should obey your parents, rightly understood. I mean, if your parents are trying to get you to sin, you don't, you don't obey that. But, but here's why I say it. When Paul wrote Colossians, he wrote to kids because kids have just as much ownership in this mission as the adults do. So the question is, when it comes to the mission of God, am I modeling for my child a lifestyle of making disciples? Now, um, I think that looks like a lot of different things. And I, we've loved hearing the stories of disciple making that's happening in this church, whether it's the 419 group or something at your school or your work. We, we, and please keep sharing those stories because that helps us to fan the flame. But uh, one story I, I just love, I want to share this. I asked him if I could share this. So, so Les Stretch, I think Les is in this service. Les is a deacon here, servant here, love Les, great, great dude. He's been telling me about, you know, for the last few months, him pouring into uh, several men in our community, many of them are like barely believers, new believers. Some are still questioning whether they're believers. You know, just like this is fresh faith kind of thing. A lot of them aren't engaged in church or anything. But invites them each week to his home to invest in them. And I think that's awesome in itself. I would love for that to be more normal. The disciple making is happening around campfires and on back porches and around dinner tables. That, that should be more normal. But here's what I think about parenting. I wonder what it's like for Les, who's not a perfect guy because no parent's perfect, for his, for his kids to look out the window and to see their dad changing lives. That's, that's what we're after. Kids who are watching their parents be passionate about Jesus and the mission of Jesus and to watch him change lives. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. But you do have to be intentional. And I'd love to pray for that this morning. Father, God, help us to be intentional as a church, as parents, as leaders, as students, as children. Be intentional about the things of you and the ways of Jesus. God, I, I pray your grace over parents that right now might feel like, you know, they've made mistakes, they have regrets. Lord, would you minister to them? Lord, I also pray if there's anyone here today who needs to give their heart and life to you to be, be born again, I pray, Lord God, that you would you'd save them and they would repent of their sin and put their faith in you. God, you're the best thing that's ever happened to us.
And I pray that would show up in how we parent. God, thank you for life change. And I thank you in particular for these that we're about to celebrate that have been born again. And we're going to celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection as seen through believer's baptism. So what a joyful thing it is. Lord, the Bible says that the angels rejoice. The angels throw a party every time a sinner repents. So if they're partying, so are we. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.